pre-show. Hi, everybody. The day before Easter and April Fool's Day. And April Fool's Day and all the other nonsense. Um, Yeah, we're at Studio B because we thought Megan was going to join us. Unfortunately, she couldn't join us. Uh, So the stuff was left here anyway because it's easier that way. Yeah. Just us. Just us. Studio B. The ambiance. (laughs) The wonderful Studio (laughs) B. So, last night, I had not what not one, but two dreams where I died. Really? Yeah, the first one. Well, first off, I couldn't sleep right away. And I had, like, horrible indige- indigestion all night. Mm. Good thing we had those oysters then. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the first one, I was... We were, like, in, like, a mud bog or something like that. And I was with some Australian girl like science podcast or something or another you know kind of the vague recollection of the dream and found that if we ran across the mud quickly it was like a non-newtonian fluid where you could run across the top oh cool so then like we we're trying to demonstrate sinking in and then you know but like then she fell in and she couldn't pull me out and then i was like head under the mud like just barely able to see out when i woke up <laughs> You always seem to wake up right before you die. Yeah. And then the second one, I was on a plane, and we were, like, taking off from Chicago, and then we had, like, turn around and was coming back, and we landed in the water just short of the runway, like, yeah. uh, right when we hit the water is when I woke up. I've had that before, I think, the <clears> dream, <throat> like, where, where I'm in a plane and it doesn't, it, it has to land weirdly or it lands in a different place or something, mm-hmm. you know, in a jungle or... Something like that. Are any of these recurring? No, no. I don't have de- I don't have scary dreams very often. I know, I have a recurring one that's not so much scary. It's just weird. There, there's just it's. I think it's more like a stress dream. Uh, but it has to do with some. Uh, like in the dream, there is like a background of I was. In a, a car crash with a girl or something like that, and they're trying to sue me for and possibly criminally sue me. Um, so it's not it, it's not reality. It's not actually mm-hmm. anything that happened in real life. But in the dream, it feels like it's been there forever, and it's just this this constant like I have to be. I'm getting like summons or whatever, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, it, it's just a weird recurring one. Uh, I don't know where it comes from. But there's that. I I hate to be uh, cliche, but I have had uh, plenty of times the I'm in school or something and I'm not wearing pants. Okay. That dream is just it's it's a it's an old oh, friend by now. So kind of the recurring one I guess I have is the same kind of thing where I'm I'm back in school and I've lost my schedule and I'm like skipping classes and falling horribly behind. Mm-hmm. I've had that dream a bunch of times. Yeah. Um, there was a great joke in, uh, Top Secret, where there's a, um, what's his name, uh, um, who's the guy in Top Secret? Oh, I'm not sure. Okay, he's in Top Gun, uh, Val Kilmer. Okay. Yeah, so he's having, he's having a nightmare, <clears throat> and he, he's like, 
he he goes up to a locker and some somebody says, uh, "Don't you know it's test day?" He's like, "I didn't study. Oh no, I'm back in school. I'm back in school." And then it goes boo 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 boo, and then he wakes up and he's being tortured. He's like, "Oh, thank God." <laughs> I think I remember that. Now. Yeah, so that's a dream I've had a bunch. Like I don't know, probably because when I did go to CCAC. And even just being community college, mm-hmm. the, the pace yeah. of class versus high school. Very different. And probably being, like, I was living at home, I was still working, so it was 13th grade, and the pace was very different, and just didn't do very well. It's, uh, you know, I think that I, I would have done great in college when I was 30. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's just... It's, it's just not the right time for everybody to, to mm-hmm. go right into school like that again. More tougher school. Yeah. Oh, well. So I think that's kind of what spawns that whole recurring, like, oh, I haven't been to calculus in a month. Fuck. <laughs> I, I think it's just, I, like I said, I think it's just a sort of standard sort of stress dream. And, and for whatever reason, it activates the same stuff in your memory. So it's just going to mm-hmm. call on those. Yeah, but I don't know what the what the girl suing thing oh. is about. That's it. That's just a weird one that just happens occasionally. Yeah. So the, the first one with the mice, like I was thinking about today when I was driving down here. I'm like, was I hanging out with like Wendy Zuckerman from Science Versus or something? Because <laughs> you know, she. I remember this girl being Australian, mm-hmm. and it was like we were on like a science video YouTube or something like that. Hmm. Like. Showing like a real world example of non Newtonian fluid, which went horribly awry. <laughs> so I always wear safety gear. Speaking of science, there was an interesting paper I was reading uh, about black holes. Um, do you remember the black hole information paradox? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and the and the other and one of the side of one possible answer to that is the so called firewall. Where if you um, once you go into a black once you go to past the event horizon you essentially stop existing. There's a, a firewall around the event horizon itself. Okay. Um, this is a possible answer, right? It's one of the it's one of the many things that people are trying to just, you know find out about black holes. And black holes are of course an interesting topic because they're ideally where you can study where quantum mechanics and general relativity meet. Which is, of course, where we have all the issues with both theories. Right. So the firewall says that, yeah, basically there's a wall around the event horizon itself. General relativity says you shouldn't notice anything different going through the event horizon. It's just space uh, by the equivalence principle. So the equivalent, the idea is is counter to general relativity because it would be like, like you driving down the road 50 miles an hour and all of a sudden a brick wall materializes in front of you mm-hmm. that'd be counter to everything about general relativity right but according to quantum mechanics that's a possibility so these guys did some calculations and they found that because of the way that these firewalls would work they would essentially be sort of like resonators and that means that gravitational waves should, as two black holes are merging, reflect off of them and echo. 
And so you should be able to see in LIGO an echo, a characteristic echo from the merging if there is this firewall. And they claim to have seen it to about two sigma. Okay. So, you know, like one in a hundred chance they're wrong. That's still not, you know, the one in a hundred chance you're wrong is, um, you know, one in a hundred chance for something weird to happen is something you would expect just naturally mm-hmm. to occur. Right. So it's not um, necessarily that they found something, but it's an interesting idea. And if it keeps pro- cropping up and they keep seeing it, then there's something there could be something to the idea so that was it was a cool paper that's that's pretty neat being able to like see <clears throat> the event the event horizon or inside you know just inside or whatever wherever the firewall it'd be, lies, it would be it would be the it. it'd be essentially at the event horizon okay. because there would be no further you could go um right. and everything essentially would be then kind of smeared out on the event horizon and uh, effectively it's a wall preventing things from entering whatever is inside the black hole whatever that means oh so this is able to keep the information from being destroyed is that what this is more or less it uh it allows for yeah it 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 well it it comes out of the way that hawking radiation works mm-hmm. which is Kind of, it's pretty complicated, um, but essentially the idea is that any time that um, this is the best way to explain this. <laughs> well, I mean, I can tell me where I'm wrong. How about that? Okay, I understand Hawking radiation as using a bit of the uncertainty principle at the event horizon, so particles can actually manifest themselves outside the event horizon and move out, right? And so black holes can emit information, Hawking radiation, mm-hmm. and can even evaporate through Hawking radiation. Yeah, more or less. That that's that's how it works. Um, it's a little. It it has to do with the fact that there's a horizon of some sort, uh, and that changes the way that quantum mechanics uh, describes the vacuum. Um. Essentially, quantum mechanics describes a vacuum, describes a vacuum, an empty vacuum, as being as having a position space and a momentum space. Uh, and if you if you are concentrating, like because of uncertainty, if you're concentrating on one, then the other one is infinite, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so one way you can look at this is a particle in a pos- in one position uh, has so a particle that you've nailed down a position will have an infinite amount of momentum states. So you can think of the momentum states as, or the position as like a drum, and it's going up and down, boom, 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 and then the the momentum states as being every possible momentum state is a drum beat everywhere that's going up and down, up and down, up and down. So you have one beat and the moment possible momentum beats all at the same time, and that describes your particle. So what happens is if you introduce an area of the vacuum that's not accessible, then suddenly those momentum states change, the amount of momentum states that are there. So you don't have the same beats going infinitely everywhere. So you're describing a different vacuum if you have a horizon. This can happen with 
something as uh, complex as a black hole, or even something as simple as acceleration can produce in a horizon. So what you get is this UNRWA effect where as you accelerate, you experience the vacuum seeming to be of a certain temperature that you, that someone who is not accelerating sees. This is what effectively causes uh, Hawking radiation, that with the horizon in place, if you are around the horizon or, or near the horizon, you see a different vacuum, and you see a thermalization of the vacuum that you wouldn't see otherwise. Okay. Hopefully that makes some sense. <laughs> Not much. Um, <laughs> but uh, you see why they use the the uh, uncertainty principle in virtual particles as an explanation, because my explanation <laughs> takes a lot more like right. thinking, and, and uh, it's still pretty confusing. I saw a YouTube video change the subject a little bit about dividing by zero and kind of explaining that like a little bit more okay. rather than you just can't do it right uh-huh and when they they plotted what was it they plotted well, one over x is it? yeah yeah they, they plotted one over x and they show how the curve you know approaches a, a infinity and mm-hmm. stuff like that so it helped provide um you know, just kind of a, a visualization of what happens when you get close to dividing by zero. Right. Right. And I, the reason I thought of it is because we're talking about, you know, uh, close to an infinite number of momentum states. You know, things like that, right? Well, I mean, not... It just... It's that getting close to an infinite thing. And I remember the 1 over x graph, you know. Was, it's it's sort of different because the infinite thing is, is totally accounted for in quantum mechanics, whereas mm-hmm. the infinity... In dividing by zero, you don't get there because that's an actual singularity mm-hmm. in the math. Uh, so it's kind of different. That's actually that's that's far, That's what the video was about. It was it started talking about the ro- the AI robot singularity mm-hmm. and kind of looking into the vocabulary of it and where it came from and talking about other singularities and then they did the the divided by zero one. Kind of geeked out on that a little bit. It was a pretty right. video. And so the reason why we consider or it's it's a so-called singularity for a black hole uh, um, is that you get infinite mass and an infinite, infinitely dense in a, in a point in space. And that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So no one really, as far as I know, no one who studies this actually thinks that a singularity exists, but they're just not sure what the quantum state of whatever the heck happens when you get to that kind of density yeah. in that area means. And then, like, just for the listeners, again, what they describe the singularity as is a point in a system when you really can't predict what it's discontinuous from going to happen beyond it so for like in a black hole we don't have any evidence any good science to know what's happening in there yeah when you divide by zero we don't have math to tell us what's happening there and when computers reach the singularity we can't really predict what life what um sentience will be like after that that doesn't stop people from trying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're claiming they know. Um, yeah, singularity is essentially discontinuity. It's it's when um, yeah you you follow that curve one over x and again you can really get very very close, but you can't take it all the way because there's discontinuity. Math doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense. Right, uh, and so that's what what it means. Um, it reminds me of of 
infinities and how infinities can be bigger than other infinities. Because when you're talking about infinity, what you're really talking about is you, you, you're talking about sort of the abstract notion of a set. Uh, and infinity means everything in that set. So if you're talking about the infinite number of, of, of integers, you're saying there is, you know, you, there is an infinite number of numbers in that set, but the, the set of real numbers has more members than the set of, in, of integers. Right. Because there's not a one-to-one, com- you can't do a one-to-one comparison between num- the, the members of the real number set and the members of the integer set. There are more, even though they're both infinite. But because we are just talking about the sets themselves, we're only talking about mm-hmm. what's contained inside the sets. There are more... <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, more <laughs> means something a little bit different. Yeah, it's talking yeah. about a concept called cardinality rather than okay. quantity. Uh, but it, it does mean like there is a one-to-one relationship between the number of integers and the number of uh, odd numbers and the number of or the number of integers, mm-hmm. and the number of even numbers. You can do a one-to-one, yeah, but you can't do that one-to-one match with the number of real numbers. There are way more, in quotes, real numbers than there are. Right. Integers. Because there's an infinite number of numbers between each integer. Right. It's more, weird. More the, infinite. The, the concept of, of infinite means you have to sort of really sort of go abstract into the idea of sets and just sure. focus on Sure. I was sets. trying to trying to puzzle out how the phrase more more infinite isn't an oxymoron, but I guess it guess kind of the intuitive thing that, you know, a child would probably pick out of that, right? Where if you showed them a ruler, you know, you can see that uh, the closer together lines, there's more than the further apart lines. But if you made that ruler infinitely long, you know, they're both infinite, but one's more infinite. Well, it gets into this sort of question of what's a number anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where the... the Pino axioms come in and sort of defining even before you define what what number one means, what number two means, what number three means, what do those if what does that mean in, in a more general sense? And the idea is uh, from the Pino axioms, it's sort of like you imagine some function S that works on whatever uh, input X such that uh, X becomes uh, twice the, twice the, I forget, I'm forgetting now my, what I learned about this, but okay. it's some function on X that creates a new number S of X, which is different than X, but is its own number. And then you do S of S of X. And so it's this function next, essentially, that defines what numbers are. You can do this, and this this s of x is not going to be equal to x. It's never going to be equal to x. And you can keep doing this function on them. And that defines the idea of what a number is. Okay. So then if you have this, this more abstract version of a number, 
then you can start putting them into more abstract set constructs. Okay. That way you don't have to refer to numbers at all when you're doing this. You, you refer to functions. Because you don't want to be circular, right? Because if, you, if, if your definition of number is itself containing information about numbers, then that's a circular definition. It doesn't help you any. Okay. doesn't tell you what a number is if, if the only way you can describe what a number is is by describing it as in terms of numbers. I'm trying. <laughs> I, mean, I would say a number is an something that identifies a quantity of something, right? I mean, that's where numbers were invented. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily... Uh, what, what, what is a quantity of something? How many there are? And how do you describe how many there are? You have to use a number. We don't have to use a number. You can use fingers. <laughs> you can use <laughs> totems. You can use... A number it's... is... Yeah, yeah. Let's see. The hmm. idea behind the, the, the axioms here is that numbers aren't things. It's a well, process that you follow. I, I understand. So it's not like there is this platonic idea of the number two or the number eight that exists. No, it's just a process that you follow in order to get to these things that we've labeled one, two, three, four, and five. And that process comes from this idea of additional, of layering functions upon one another to create a new identifiable quantity. Sure, I understand that. I'm just trying to think. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. I'm just thinking if you go back to the very rudimentary when numbers were invented. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm well, yeah, this see. is this is advanced. Yeah, but I'm saying, is it really circular? I mean, I, I guess maybe it is. I'm... Well, I mean, the it's it's the question of where when numbers were invented. That's all well and good, but then as you study them and you find all the interesting things that happens with them, you start to wonder, well, what are they really? Right? I mean, if all these interesting things can happen with them, uh, and you know, we, we think that there are these very simple constructs that uh, that it's not just humans that use them. Uh, there are other plenty of other creatures that that count in some way. Even plants do it. So, what is going on here? And you have to wonder, is there something that they have access to that is there a one, is there a two, is there a three that exists that we then access? And that explains what one, twos, and threes are, and that's sort of the platonic thing. Or is there rather some more uh, fundamental way of understanding these uh, ideas of, of quantities? And that's what this mm -hmm. number theory gets to. It's crazy. Deep, man. It's deep. It's very deep. I mean, and it's not you know, it's not for everybody. And mostly, I, I tend to stay away from the number theory stuff. But it's interesting. I know it certainly is. I'm gonna have to look into that a little bit. Probably like in the same kind of way where I thought like the extra big numbers, you know, arrow notation and things like that. I found that interesting mm -hmm. as well. Uh, you know, just. 
humans inventing ways to notate numbers that you don't have enough matter in the universe to actually represent. Yeah, that, that don't that it'd be sort of meaningless to even try to represent it because in any way that we can. I mean, the, the only way you find is these weird tree representations because there's yeah. no there's no way that a, a decimal representation of the number would make any sense. It would just be this ridiculous amount of yeah. digits. I mean, the thing I think I find most fascinating about them is, you know, we were able to expand numbers beyond the scope of reality. Right. Which is, I think, it is part of the reason why that there were sort of the questions of, okay, well, if we can expand these beyond reality, then are these real? Right? Are these things that mm-hmm. you know, or are are they something different? And at least the the theorem is that they're something different. Okay. They're uh, they're a way uh, they're they're a function a process that you follow uh, that gives you these things. So it makes so it it it, it leads to the question if if there was no one to observe it would there still be eight planets in the solar system? And uh, the answer is kind of no, because if there's no one, you, you don't get that number by simply having there be eight planets. You get that number by following a process of counting those things that you call planets. Uh, so, if we weren't here to look at it, if nothing was here to look at it, if nothing was here to do this process on them, then there isn't eight of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is in a sort of abstract existential way, because you can just say, well, if we were here, then yes. And this leads to a lot of weird philosophy and navel-gazing. and Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of navel gazing, should we get down to the beer? Yes, let's let's do the beer. All right. right. 